Father, we want to thank you for bringing us back into your presence once again. We want to thank you for keeping us uh, since last week. And we just pray, even as we're going to delve into this uh, recap on the Trinity, I pray that you would help simplify what might seem like a very difficult subject to understand. I pray that you would um, grant us that ability to receive from you, uh, even as we're going to talk about it. Oh God, I just pray for an impartation of understanding and clarity about tonight's subject in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's always good to have everyone uh, back. So welcome back uh, once again. Welcome back to our friends joining us all the way from across the pond, um, as well as from Denmark and all the way in Ghana and in Nigeria. Uh, the temperature here in the UK, um, I believe it's in the minus one degrees, actually. Um, I guess it's so, somewhat different from Friday night. So maybe about 30-something Friday night or 20-something uh, Friday night. That's what minus one degrees is. Uh, but it's good to have you all with us today. And it's also good to have uh, Mary uh, Besong uh, join us. Uh, I know it's your first time. Well, it's the first time I'll recognize the name or I'll say the name. Um, so if you don't mind, Mary, uh, if you can just leave a message in the group chat to introduce yourself. Um, the ritual we have here, and by way of the way we introduce ourselves, is um, an adjective that describes the first letter of your first name. No, I got that wrong. I just realized, actually, we do know you, Mary. Um, yeah, so we'll keep it moving. But I think what I was meant to say is a word that describes you that starts with the same um, letter as the first letter of your first name. Uh, but we do recognize who the person is, so we wouldn't uh, go through the labor of introduction. So yeah, so today we're gonna be recapping on uh, the Trinity. Uh, so just to give us a good sense of all the topics that we looked at when we considered knowing God. So we started in mid-July and we started with who God was. How do you know God is God? So in other words, if somebody was to say to you, I am God, you know, what is the proof that they're either really God or delusional? Um, and there are specific characteristics that God has that he hasn't shared with humanity that makes him God. Um, we also explored the names of God used in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament. Uh, we looked at the question, is God male? Um, I know that caused a bit of a the rattling of some people's cages. But um, I'm glad that we are still here to the glory of God. Um, but what I've decided to do is rather than starting with the way we started the series, I'm going to be starting with the way we ended the series. And the ending was on the Trinity. And so Paul will be treating next week um, the introduction topics um, of who God is, his nature, his character, his names in the Old Testament, the names of Jesus, and so on. So that's what Paul will be doing uh, next week. So today's a recap, so I'm not going to be going line by line. I'll just more or less bring to life, once again, salient uh, points about each aspect of what we said about the Trinity. So one of the things I do remember emphasizing again and again is the fact that God is one. Okay, God is one. Um, there's a prayer called the Shema. Uh, which is the Jewish prayer, and it's taken from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and it goes and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is 
one. Uh, so that's the Shema that the Jewish people pray with. And effectively saying, there are no three gods, there are no two gods, there are no multiple gods, there's only one God. Um, and that's the Christian faith, or, you know, this is what we as God's people believe, uh, the way God has revealed himself. And there are so many scriptures that demonstrate this. Another thing that I also mentioned is a lot of people argue that the word God is not unique to our God, i.e. the Christian God. That, you know, when the scriptures were being written, there were other deities that were present. Um, but the reason why God described himself as the only God is because as far as God is concerned, there is no other God. And I use the example of Google, right? Now, this might not be the best example because Google still has competitors like Bing. Um, he has, they still have other competitors. But when we think about search, in other words, I need to search for a place. I need to search for a term. We tend to uh, use Google as a synonymous for search. Um, just because Google has the largest market share. Now, I think Google has 90% plus market share when it comes to search um, for things. God is not in the same way. God is 100% God. There is no other God than, other than Yahweh. And that's why for us as God's people, we can say that there's only one God because as far, far as our God is concerned, there is no rival. There is no competitor. There is no other God. And therefore, the word God can be used synonymously to our God. Just because, once again, from our God's perspective, there is only one God. I'm going to pause there in case there are any questions um, or anyone needs me to um, share any scriptures before we move on. Okay, there isn't any. So, but what we find is once we start reading the Old Testament, which is really the beginning, from the beginning, from Genesis, something strange happens. And what is strange is this, that at different points in the Old Testament, there's this sense in which it feels like there's a plurality about this one God that we're referring to. So, for example, in the book of Genesis, uh, when God was creating man, or humanity, he said, let us make man in our own image. Um, a lot of people have thought that this is a royal a, a royal term. You know the way we might say in the United Kingdom, oh, we are doing this, meaning a collective, um, to mean the queen, to mean the subject, and so on. So that's the way people have described that, that perhaps when the Bible says, let us make man, God is also referring to angels. Um, but the argument against that is that when God created us as humans, he created us in his own image. He didn't make humanity or man in the image of the angels. We were created in God's own image. And so from Genesis, we start to see a sense in which there is plurality in this one God. So on one hand, God has declared himself as one. There is no other God but me. But we start to see glimpses from the very beginning that there is some form of compounding of this one God um, from the very beginning. And I want us to also explore a scripture from Psalm 110, uh, verse 1. Whoever gets there should please read first, um, should read to us. And at the same time, 
If somebody else can get Matthew 22, verse 41 to 46. Matthew 22, verse 41 to 46. So there's Psalm 110, verse 1, and then Matthew 22, verse 41 to 46. Now, both scriptures are somewhat linked to each other because in the Matthew scripture, there's a reference to the Psalm 110 uh, scripture. All right. So, in fact, maybe I should just uh, call out names just to make it quick. Um, Susie, you look like you are on it. Do you mind taking the Psalm scripture? And Cassia, if you can please take the Matthew scripture. Psalm 110. Yes, please. Verse 1. Verse 1. Okay. Sorry. Okay, so here we are. Okay, Psalm 10. Sorry, sorry. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This Thank is the you. word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is that from the Methodist Church or from the Anglican Church? It's the Anglican Church. It's the Anglican Church. Okay. <laughs> um, now, one thing we notice about Psalm 110 verse 1 is it says, The Lord says to my Lord. So there, there are two lords being mentioned here. Um, all we know is that as far as David is concerned, one lord says to another lord. Um, and then let's now look at the Matthew scripture, which gives a commentary on this particular text. So Matthew 22, verse 41 to 46. Okay. Matthew 22, verse 41 to 46. 46. All right, and it's from the New Living Translation. It says, Then surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose, whose son is he? They replied, He is the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David, David speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah, O my Lord? For David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand, until I humble your, un, humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Amen. Now, this scripture was Jesus alluding to himself as Lord in the Psalm scripture. Now, a lot of people have argued that Jesus never said about himself that I am God. Um, so why is it that we Christians uh, ascribe deity or lordship uh, to him? But I think from this particular scripture, this was when Jesus was debating, um, I think it was the Pharisees I was speaking to here, that he was saying concerning the scripture that we read in Psalms, that who was David really referring to, i.e. him talking about himself as the Messiah. So on the one hand, <clears throat> the Lord, i.e. the Father, says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, again, we don't quite get a full picture. All we know is that there are a sense in which that perhaps there's more than one Lord. There is plurality um, within the deity, within who God is. 
But by the time we fully get into the New Testament, we now see that actually in its fullest extent that God has made himself known to us in three persons, which we as Christians, we've called the Trinity. All right. So we're just going to look at a few scriptures that really talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in the same breath. All right. So I do need some uh, volunteers here so that we can run this uh, through the scriptures very quickly. Uh, to give us enough time to go into our breakout room. So the first scripture is Matthew 28, verse 19. In fact, those that go to my church, uh, you don't need to refer to that scripture. And there's someone I'm looking at um, intently um, because it's a scripture that we always use as part of our mission statement. <clears throat> so that's the first one, Matthew 28, verse 19. The second one, and in fact, let me just allocate this quickly. Uh, Mary, if you don't mind taking Matthew 28, verse 19, the second one is 1 Corinthians 12 uh, from verse 4 to 6. Um, Vinny, if you can please take that. 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 4 uh, to 6. And um, it would be nice to have more volunteers. Perhaps anyone that is able to, to, to read, uh, if you're off mute, um, either raise your hands. Sorry, if, you're, if your camera is off, please do raise your hand so that I know that you can join us or you can read. Um, Extraordinary Edith, if you can please take 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. And uh, Carl's here again, if you can take 1 Peter 1, verse 2. And Paul, if you can take Jude 20, 21. Thank you. So I'll just go through the scriptures again. Uh, the first one is Matthew 28, 9, verse 19. Uh, so that's Mary. 1 Corinthians 12, from verse 4 to 6. I can't remember where I located that one too. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, thanks Vinny. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. Um, I think that was extraordinary, Edith. 1 Peter 1, verse 2, that was Cassia. And Jude 20, verse 21. So feel free to read as soon as the other person finishes reading their scripture. Okay, so Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Now there... Keep going, keep going. Don't stop, don't stop. Just keep going. 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of spiritual gifts, but it is the same spirit and there are varieties of ministries and service, but in the same Lord, and there are ways of working, but it is the same God who produces all things in all believers. Amen. Eight, but I think you said to eight, right? No, that's fine. To verse six, actually. So it's okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Next. God the Father knew you and chose you long, long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and now have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Amen. Thank you. Oh, I think Extraordinary Edith has jumped off. And maybe, Paul, if you take your Jude scripture. Paul, we can't hear you if you're speaking.
We still cannot hear you. Okay. What we'll do is we'll skip uh, the scriptures that Paul and Edith should have read. But Paul's scripture was Jude 20, verse 20 and 21. And um, Edith's one was 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, which I would imagine all of us know. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and forever. So that's the 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. Now, what you find in all these three scriptures is the mention of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all within the same context. And so, putting all that together, we can say then that the doctrine of Trinity is these three statements. Now, I have to admit, in fact, the book I was using to uh, help with the summary, they, the, even the author, the guy's name is Wayne Gruden, um, he himself admitted that the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those difficult subjects. Um, and so it takes a while to get one's head around it. I think one of the ways in which I've been able to um, come to terms with it is just by building by faith and not trying to create an image um, because I do find that the different metaphors or the different comparisons that people use has a limitation somewhat. So here are the three statements that there is one God, okay? That's what Christians believe, and this is what we've believed throughout the ages. There is one God. God is three persons. So God has made himself known in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person in the Godhead is God. All right, so I'll repeat that again. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. That's always been the statement from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. There are three persons in the Godhead, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each of them is God. All right. So if you hold those three statements together, that forms the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, the natural question that people would ask is, okay, what, are the, what makes God the Father different from God the Son and God the Spirit? Because if I'm saying all three of them are God, um, what's the distinction between them? And the distinction really comes in in terms of their roles. Um, so a good comparison is this. When we think about male and female marriage relationship, the scriptures tell us that men and women are created equal. So as far as God is concerned, male and female, they are equal before God. However, in a marriage relationship, the man is described as the head. And so in second, sorry, Ephesians 5 or 4, uh, from verse 25 onwards to 30, I believe it is, it talks about how the man is the head of the woman. All right. So whilst they are equal in terms of value, they're equal in value, they're equal in rights. When it comes to roles, there's a difference in roles. And the same thing is also can be applicable to the Trinity, that whilst the members of the triune God, Father, Son, and the Spirit, are all each of them are God, they have different roles. And so usually the role that is always ascribed to the Father is that of the source. Okay. So when it comes to the eternal salvation plan, that has always been in the Father's heart from the very beginning. All right. So when it comes to the role of the Father, is always described as the source. Again, this doesn't take away from the fact that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are equal to each other, but it's just to say that the role of the Father is 
to be the source. And there are some scriptures that kind of tell or give us this sense. Um, because if, when you read the New Testament, when the word God is being used in the New Testament, it's always disproportionately being referred, it's always disproportionately being referred to the Father. Okay, and that's sometimes what confuses people because whenever they read God, and we're saying that there's a trying God, you know, people might think, okay, what about Jesus and so on? But usually in the New Testament, when they're referring to God, they're always referring to the Father in the New Testament. All right, so let's explore some scriptures um, that more or less allows us to see the Father as the source or the Ed. Uh, in the same way I've used um, the marriage relationship as a comparison. All right, so the first one is... 1 Corinthians 15, and maybe Paul, um, if you, I think you're back now. I'm not sure if you're able to read. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, uh, 27 to 28. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, 27 to 28. So this 1 Corinthians is um, the scripture that really talks about the resurrection of the dead. And this is a topic that we've explored uh, even within this group. Um, so but you, hopefully it will make sense now. Um, so yeah, so Paul, if you able to read. 1524? Yes. Okay. 24 through 27, right? Yes, please. Okay, thank you. Then cometh... Let me use NIV. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You can jump to 27, please. 27. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who puts everything under Christ. Amen. So 27 to 28 is saying that God the Father put everything under Jesus' authority. But in saying that, it doesn't mean that the Father is under the Son's authority. Okay, now this doesn't take away from the equality. It's just talking about the roles. All right, and verse 24 more or less lays the foundation. Um, another essence of this is when we look at how the Holy Spirit comes to us, and I think this might answer a question that Vinny raised when we're looking at this topic, when we looked at the sun, and I'll remind Vinny what this question is. I know you might not remember it, but I do remember because it caught my attention as to why there might have been that confusion. So let's look at another scripture that talks about how the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. So, um, Anna, I'm not sure if you're able to read John 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. You're muted in case you're speaking. She's talking about me, Hannah. Do you know, I'm so sorry. My H's are really, really, um, in my head, it sounds like your name, but I, I think this is the second time it's happening. That, yeah, but it's you, Anna. Yes, H-A. First Corinthians. No, John 15, 26. John 15, 26. I'm coming. John 15. <laughs> I'm ready. 
reading from the New King James Version. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, he proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Amen. So the helper here is referring to the person of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture tells us it proceeds from the Father. Now, again, this is not to say that the Holy Spirit is a created being, but in terms of the role that the Father has, it pro the, the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father. Now, the other scripture, which I'm going to quote to you, because I think everyone, especially if you've grown up in church, you would know this, John 3.16. Right. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All right. So it's almost as though the love of God came first. And as a result of the love of God, God decides to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. That whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, just John 3.16, if you ever grew up in church, it's one of the scriptures that you probably have had to learn um, repeatedly. And so again, based on the scriptures, we've seen in a scripture that the spirit comes from the father and it's as a result of the love of the father that the son has been sent. And so what is the distinct role of the father is for him to is he act as a source or as the, um, as the head of the triune being. All right. So that's the distinct role of the father. Now, in the scriptures that Paul would look at next week, we discuss what makes God God. And one of the things you realize is actually the God the Father is, you know, they all have the same attributes in terms of being omniscient, omnipotent, um, omniscient, omnipotent, um, omnipresent. That's the one. Yeah, Thank that's you. One. That's the one. Yes. That the each member of the Trinity possess all these attributes all right so that's what makes god god and but paul will be looking at that next week and so the father the son and the spirit all possess this attribute however when it comes to the role of the father the role he acts as the head or the source and we've seen in two scriptures that the spirit proceeds from the father and the son was given to us uh, because of the love of the father i'm going to pause there uh, in case there are any questions or any comments or any pushback that anyone has. If you want to just think out loud, feel free to do that as well. All right, Fola, thank you so much. Uh, I had to retake the class um, a few weeks ago. So one of my neighbors called me and he said, they have been arguing about the Trinity. I said, ah, it's an interesting one. I think I know a little about it. And she came and her argument is that uh, they are not God. And I think um, that they can't stand on their own, which is where I, I came in to tell him that three of them can stand on their own. I mean, you can see them. And I refer back to the analogy we gave, the limitation of the state of water to be eyes to to also exist as uh, at the glacial stage and to exist as the liquid state that they cannot exist they can't have the theory form at the same but for god we can see god can stand and um i think now raise the question about the holy spirit in my mind and i've been trying to do that that okay why is it that we are not seeing holy spirit god the father at least you have an idea. Some people, like Moses, saw it. So he, he raised um, all that. That's one about that. 
the I read a book recently about talking about the Trinity and the person, the author was able to say, if God had not brought out Eve from um, Adam, that would not have known that it is possible for someone to carry someone inside. That actually would not have known that Eve was inside of Adam, if God has not brought it and we are seeing it. So he says that we are not, um, um, that God the head is responsible for three of them to be one, just we should see from that angle to say it's very possible because if God have not done that, actually that a human being, I mean, Eve was, not from that, that we would not have thought that would be possible. Just my two cents. Or two naira, my Don't two worry, you, you, you gave more than two naira this time. Uh, you gave more, but um, I might take one of the money from you, actually. And it's something you said around, why is it that we haven't seen the Spirit, but somebody has seen the Father? The reality is, and I'll read all the scriptures, and hopefully this would help us conclude, and that will lead on to our next uh, conversation. No one has ever seen God, but the only one and only Son, who is himself God, in fact, this is John 1, 18, so this is the scripture stating that the son is God and is in the closest relationship with the father as made him known. That's John 1.18. Hold your breath, uh, Paul. Um, let's jump to John 5.37. John 5.37. So the first one I've read is John 1.18. I'm going to jump to John 5.37. And the father who sent me as himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, not seen his form. All right. Now, this might be a bit weaker because, or this argument might be a bit weaker because at some stage, some people heard the voice from heaven. All right. But we'll keep going. 1 John 4, verse 12. 1 John 4, verse 12. Just for the benefits of those that have just joined us, we're doing a recap on the Trinity and we're currently on God the Father. Uh, so that's where we are in our recap. Uh, so 1 John 4, verse 12. And what I'm, the reason I'm sharing all the scriptures is just to let us know that no one has seen the Father. 1 John 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then I'll read the last scripture. 1 Timothy 6, verse 14 to 16. And I do remember that um, Susie asked a question. So when the Bible says, you know, the pure in heart shall see God, what does that really mean? Um, so we'll come to that in a moment if I can remember what the response I gave to her. So 1 Timothy 6 from verse 14 to 16. 1 Timothy 6 from verse 14 to 16. And I'll read that to us. To keep this command without spot or blameless unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. lords. Verse 16, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable lights, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. All right. So, on one hand, no one has ever seen the Father. And in fact, Paul goes on to say here, no one can see the Father. Uh, but on the other hand, we have stories of Moses. Um, 
Bible talks about how we spoke to God face to face. Uh, we have the Beatitudes, Jesus saying that, um, so I'm trying to remember what Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And then in Hebrews 11, the Bible talks about how Moses fled Egypt as though it beheld the invisible one. So how do we reconcile the fact that no one can see God and the fact that some scriptures allude to the fact that actually the pure in heart shall see God? Now, the best explanation I can give, and others might have a stronger one, is to say that the seeing that those scriptures are referring to is seeing him with the eyes of the spirit, not seeing him with the human eyes. You know, the way I'm looking at Zoom right now, where I could see everyone on this call, my conclusion is the fact that when the Bible says we're going to see God, we're going to see God through the eyes of our spirits, almost as though we're discerning God, not necessarily physically seeing God. Okay. And so that's why it's important for us to keep a pure heart such that there's nothing stopping us from using our hearts to behold that image of who God is. All right. So that's the best explanation I can give to reconcile between the two. But it's just to say that no human being has ever seen God. However, the one that is from the Father has made him known. And that brings us to the topic of the Son. That to be able to know what God looks like, we need to look at Jesus. Because as the Bible says, Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. So there's an invisible God that no one can ever see. But for us to know what his character is like, we need to look at his son, Jesus. And I, coming back to the question that I remember Vinny raised a long time ago, that, and I think this is why you raised the question, because if the father is called the father and the son is called the son, that gives an impression that the son was a created being, given the fact that in human um, biology, when somebody is called somebody else's son, usually the father comes first and then the son comes as a result of the father or the woman giving birth to the father, to the son, if that makes sense. Um, so that's why I think you might have asked that question. And this was in one of the sessions that Paul or Nicholas uh, raised. Now, when we talk about the son, it doesn't mean that the son was conceived like a biological son, even though we'll talk about the incarnation in a moment. It just refers to the fact that the Son has come to reveal to us who the Father is. And I think this is the gripe a lot of people have with Christianity, because we're saying that Jesus is the only person that can reveal to us who the Father is, because that's the Christian claim. The Christian claim is no one can go to the Father except through Jesus. I remember once we did this uh, course called the Alpha Course, which is like an introductory course uh, to Christianity. and there was someone that had been exploring Christianity for some time and she came on the course and she stopped coming. And when she was asked to stop, why she stopped coming, one of the issues that she raised was for Christians, we see this person called Jesus as the only way to God. And for her, she was like, how can God put all of himself in one person? That's for her. It's unimaginable. All right, but the Christian claim, and that's this claim that Jesus himself made about himself, is that Jesus, the Son, is the only way to God. And so throughout the New Testament, um, especially in the Gospels, 
we see repeatedly that the role that Jesus played, which is distinct from, so we talked about the father being the source, the role that the son played was to make known to us the character and the nature of the father. All right, so that's the principal role that Jesus plays to reveal to us what the father is really like. And so if you want to know who the father is, all you have to do is study God. Because once again, no one has ever seen God. However, the son has made him known. I'm going to pause there and give room for people to reflect, to talk, to ask questions, to push back. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Fola. Thank you, Fola. I think I'm thinking, this means thinking, not scripture. I'm just thinking. So I'm thinking if um, we say for us to better understand the who the father um who the father is that's why we have jesus coming in um, um in human nature so that we can have a grip of and i think god has three aspects which is um god being um um shall i say like the son is the express image of god and i think the holy spirit also speaks to the that aspect of god that is invisible i'm just thinking that's the reason why we've not because right we said um um moses saw the glory or saw some very you can all those experiences you can conclude from there that this person actually exists i mean this person you can so the son also but the spirit there is no one i'm saying i saw holy spirit in my dream or um um the holy spirit just stood and wake me up there was no experience no record for that in the bible i think in my own thinking, I'm thinking because God wants to prove that God can actually be a spirit that will not be seen with physical eyes. So if we know that, that may be a clue to us or to prove to man that God actually can be that spiritual and unapproachable like that. Just me thinking of. Good. It's always good to, to think out loud. Um, sometimes that's the way we uh, collect our thoughts. I was speaking to someone here during the week and they said the same thing, that they like the sound of their voice. And it's a good way to um, reflect. Um, so yeah, so um, thanks, Paul, for for that contribution. Um, I think Susie, I could see your hand up. Yes. Um, a question. Uh, it's just on the back of the pure in heart. You know, I I I sort of posed that question when we were doing this study back then, and you've given me clarity. But I'm just curious to hear from you or maybe anyone else because of my own personal experience I'm curious to hear people's experiences or how for example how would you elaborate on seeing God in the spirit with the spirit with the spiritual eye and not the human eye if that makes sense Sorry the, the spiritual eye is the way you feel him covering you, like your senses, right? Because when you pray, you're supposed to calm all of your senses and, and, and hear with all of them. So hear, see, touch. I think it's an overall feeling that you get how you become pure of heart and therefore can see him. Right. And you can also see his actions. Right. So you see his actions, you hear his actions and you feel it in your heart. 
I think that's the way we see him. If I'm, I'm thinking out loud too. <laughs> it, it's no, thank you for your, um, yeah. It's, um, I'm just curious to hear, like. Yeah. I mean, Susan, if I'm allowed to speak, yeah. I'm asking, it's a question. Yeah, <laughs> you can see. Because <laughs> no, no, I remember when I was in, when I was a teenager, right? I had this experience that um, I felt God appeared to me. And I genuinely, at that time, it, it was God appearing to me. Now, when I was narrating that experience in church, this is what I said at the time when I gave the testimony. Oh, God appeared to me yesterday. Now, at that time, it didn't actually, it wasn't like a physical being that came into the room, that I didn't see any imagery. But there was just that sense of knowing. And it's very similar to what Vinnie said. I mean, she used the word feeling. Mine was not so much, it, it, there was an element of feeling. So the context in which this happened to me was I was, I was literally studying and I had this, and I used the word encounter, like an overwhelming sense of God's presence, which was distinct to anything else I've ever experienced. Now, there wasn't any visual image in front of me. Um, there wasn't any person sitting in the room, but there was just an overwhelming sense of awareness that I met with God. Now, the words I used to describe that was next day was, oh, God appeared to me. Now, somebody might say, in what form did he appear to you? But the reality is, now that I'm relating it back, there wasn't a physical appearance, but there was just an overwhelming sense of knowing that I've met with God. And so sometimes we can use seeing in that way. So the Bible talks about how um, Moses, he fled, when he fled Egypt, the Bible talks about how he saw the invisible one. And that's what made him flee. Now, how can you see someone that is invincible? You can't physically see it, but there's just that sense of overwhelming knowing. And that's the way I tend to describe seeing God, where your spiritual senses is just awakened to who God was or good who God is. Uh, I think Mary's hand is up, so I'm going to keep quiet. Yeah, my, my hand's up, but I don't know. I think it's more to almost like confirm or affirm what you're saying. So I don't know how much I can add, but like I was reflecting and I've had, I would say two experiences, but in the form of dreams where God has spoken to me and shown me things and even though in both of them even though I could see things I couldn't see him but I could hear him and I could feel him speaking to me so I knew it was him if that makes sense um so it's so I didn't see him like a fit a form but I saw that he was there in a way and I heard what he was saying to me. And it wasn't necessarily an audible voice, but they were their words that I can communicate. This is what he said to me. So I don't know if I'm quite making sense. <laughs> but that that's my those are two distinct experiences, but in the form of dreams where I know uh God God showed me, and while he was showing me, he was speaking to me, and I knew it was him.
thanks uh susie i could see um thumbs up paul if it's okay to skip uh your contribution just because of time it's fine thank you um and so just going back to jesus is jesus again uh, in Philippians 2, from verse 6 to 7, Philippians 2, verse 6 to 7, and this is really talking about Jesus being God, and it says, who being the very nature God. All right, so that in itself gives us a clue that the scriptures tell us that Jesus is God. So verse 6 again, Philippians 2, verse 6, who the very, who, who, we, sorry, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used at his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And this is what the Christmas story is, uh, the incarnation, that God became man. Um, and that's what we see in the life of Jesus. So we've just had Christmas celebration, and that's what actually happened, that in verse 7, that God took on human nature um and we see that in the person of of the son where he was able to walk like everybody else he was able to sweat uh he was hungry uh he was tired um he wept he cried um he sweated um what else he ate with people he fasted we see Christ whilst he was on the earth do exactly what the rest of us would do. But the difference is in doing everything, he did everything without sinning. Um, so there was at no point in which he disobeyed God or, or disobeyed the rules of God in everything. I could see Paul saying here that he used the restroom. Absolutely. So he did everything um, that humans do, however, without that element of sin now the natural question is i've said that the father is described as the source or the head of the triune god the son reveals the father uh, to us um i'll just mention very briefly in what ways does the son reveal the father to us literally in the things that jesus did was a reflection of who the father was so for example when people were sick he felt the infirmity that people were going through and healed them. So last week, Saturday, in our prayer session, there was a lot of prayers being offered for people that had cancer. And in us praying for them, we know that actually God wants to heal those people. Because the very thing that Jesus came, the Bible says when it, was, it appeared, it came to destroy the works of the enemy. Cancerous cells is not from god it's a result of the fall jesus came to destroy those things and so in us praying for those people we're demonstrating what god is really like when jesus healed the sick it was demonstrating to people what god the father is really like at other times when he was praying and there was a voice that spoke from heaven and it wasn't just him that heard the voice other people also heard the voice he also demonstrates the father and it's no different from the rest of us that in our lifestyle, in our prayers, we should do what we can to reveal who the Father is, because that was Jesus's primary assignment to reveal to us uh, who the Father is. And if we're going to be saying we want to become like Christ, we should also reveal Christ 
to other people in our day jobs, um, in our conversations, in the words we use. Everything should be a reflection uh, of who God really is. Now, a question I'm going to ask here then is, people have always said, and by the way, I'm doing this Bible in One Year program. I'm about 30 days behind. But I've been reading the book of Numbers. And one thing I find very strange about the book of Numbers is how somebody will rise up against Moses and damn, they get stoned to death. I mean, Miriam said something negative about Moses. She had leprosy, you know. So you could see that there was an instant judgment in the Old Testament. And that has caused people to think, okay, does that mean the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament? Or the God of the Old Testament is an Ash father or Ash person, Ash, Ash person with an H. And then the God of the New Testament is a bit more relaxed, is friendly, and so on. So I'm going to ask the same question. Why is God so different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament? And Paul, you're not allowed to speak. You're, there's an embargo on you not to speak. So I welcome feedback from other people. Um, so why is God different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament? The floor is open for anyone that, if you, you might even want to reflect on it. So you don't have to say anything. You can just reflect on the question of, that's how I find that to be true. Um, so yeah, so I could see Manny's hand up. So feel free to come off mute when you're ready to share. Hi, everybody. Wait, can you guys hear me? Do I sound? Yes. We can hear talk? you, but we can't see you. Oh yeah, you you you're not gonna see me. All right. Are you doing your <laughs> I'm I am in my bed. My bonnet is on. You will not see me. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm tempted to see amongst family, but anyway, we'll leave it there. So there you go. Over to um, you, sorry, money. Yeah. So I was actually thinking about this this whole week, um, because what I've been trying to do is just I guess redefine the way that I see God and see Him as a Father, um. And that question came up because I'm like, yo, in Old Testament, God was not playing with you. If you do this, fire. If you do this one, like, you're out. I, I, I don't want to hear excuses. You're done. And then you get to New Testament. He's like, come, my little baby. It's okay. Like, oh, you messed up. It's fine. And it does seem like it's a different God. And my theory or my guess is that um, Jesus came and was like, look, Dad you know, I know, we know together, they're never going to get right. Just give them grace. And God's just like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Like Jesus was that older brother to be like, these ones, <laughs> like the best you can do is just love them. And that's what's just been going on since new Testament is Jesus is just like, it's okay. They're, they'll come around. They'll come around. He's like, you're right. You're right. They'll come around. They'll come around. That's my theory. <laughs> and what is the basis of this theory, uh, Manny? Just out of curiosity. Um, I, maybe just because if Jesus not if God is my Father, Jesus is God's um son, also God. Je that makes Jesus my brother. And the only thing that's different—not that it's the only thing that's different between. Old Testament and New Testament, but one of the big differences is Jesus. So he had to do something with this. So I just figured my brother stepped in and <laughs> that was that. Okay, thank you.
By the way, if anybody wants to reflect on what Mania said, feel free to do that as well. But I could see Cassia's hand up, so we'll go to Cassia. Whoever's hand up comes up next, we'll go to you. And feel free to just reflect. I'm not going to facilitate this period. So, Paul, you feel free to come off mute whenever you're ready. Um, yeah. Um, so, Cassia. Okay. I, I'm just thinking out loud because I've had the same question. Um, and the reason why I believe that the God from the Old Testament, the same God in the New Testament, because God does not change. It is the same throughout. But I do think that we just see a different character of God. Maybe it is more emphasized in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament, because God seems more judgy at the Old Testament, but he is also in the New Testament, and the same grace in the New Testament. We also see that in the Old Testament. I think it's just more emphasized and there is the consequences of sin. It's just more evidence, if I can say it like that, or seems more harshly, but it's the same God. And and the judgment of God is 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 heavy. Um but grace is still there. And God was constantly telling them, if you do this, then this will happen. And if you obey this, then this will happen. There's consequences for your action. And Jesus is saying the same thing. Um, The difference is is that we didn't have the Holy Spirit back then. So God will use prophets and and holy men. And and we have to go through rituals and blood sacrifice. But God-wise, it's the same God. It's the same God. And the judgment in the Old Testament is just as living as it is in the Testament. And the same amount of grace in the Old Testament is still there. So, yeah, it's, it's still God. I think the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is you mentioned that um, that the son was here to reveal God's character. So the God's character before he came along was you should fear me and you should still fear him. Right. But I also can give you grace. I think it, it was to show man like, Hey, please believe in me. I'm here. I can help you. But also if you turn against me and you're not obedient, there will be a price to pay. Whereas Jesus came along and said, hey, there's definitely a price to pay, but we're trying to like get them to believe in the first place. And this is not the way to do it, dad. So you might want to just give us some time. That's why I'm here. Let me do my thing through you and show them that there are other sides of you other than the wrath of God. That's my but didn't we see that in the Old Testament too? That's why all these prophets were sent as messengers, as God's voice. But they were human messengers before it. you didn't. So God came to people in angels, right? Um, and they were also in flesh form, right? And to help guide man through his journey, as my understanding of the Bible in the little bit of knowledge that I have, um, for him to, to guide you, right? And if you don't let him guide you or you go against his word and you are not obedient, you will catch these hands. But the hands that they caught in the New Testament were different. They were still very much more gracious than they were before. Like God, Jesus is here to tell us the whole size and scope of God and everything that he has to offer. We all have those different sides because we're 
human. I'm not saying that God is human. I'm saying the full character of God is the full gamut. We are made in his image, right? So the full gamut of his character is both like, you're going to catch these hands, but oh, uh, they're there. I think that's the difference. I don't know. Thank you. Thanks for the three contributions. Uh, there's room for one more. Um, and then we'll try to close this section. By the way, there won't be any breakout rooms today just because of time. Um, I hope anyone, no one is disappointed uh, about that. I'm always disappointed when there's no yeah. breakout rooms. I would just... Oh, yeah. It's just because yes. uh, I want us to finish this topic, but my apologies. Um, yes. We'll make Paul ensure that his own session has a breakout room, but it's also <laughs> um, Oh, I can see Kara Jessica's hand up and then we'll close the section. So I've, I've, I've come like ages ago and then I haven't been for a while and I've been able to come back. So hi, nice to meet you. I'm going to try to put my camera on. I have a, oh, hello. I, you might, it might, I have a puppy and she wants a lot of attention. So she might be like really loud. So I'm going to try and talk this through. Um, but my thoughts are, I think it's quite interesting. Mm. I think it's quite interesting to hear. Let me know if you can't hear me and then I'll just give up. Don't worry, we can hear you clearly. The dog is not disrupting. You'll be fine. Yeah. We can actually hear the dog, honestly. You can't you hear can't? the dog. Oh, okay. No. okay, great. Um, I think it's quite interesting to hear that there's, that um, some people are saying, like, God felt, or he was doing things a certain way and then Jesus saw and felt almost like pity of like we can't keep doing this we need to do something else but it's interesting because in the old testament the whole time you do hear a promise of Jesus uh -huh. coming so mm -hmm. it's it's not as if I understand it that Jesus decided okay God you're going one way let's go another it was like it was always going to be this way but Jesus had to, it's like God, I suppose, was a lot firmer or appeared firmer because, yes, there wasn't that grace and there wasn't the Holy Spirit. But God, as like as loving, as just as he is, he will always be holy. Like, number one, he has to be holy. So anything that comes into contact with him must be holy. He can't be unholy. He can't touch anything that's not holy. So he, there was a lot of strict, I guess, those rules in order to like protect God's people and also to keep them very separate from all the paganism and things that were happening. And it was just like, just you, you are not them. You are separate. You're my promised people. This is who you are. But he also understood that as like a time, there was a time would come when this would like there would have to be the the lamb and then there would be the human sacrifice and then the new that would come. And then because of that, because Jesus they had to do that ceremony to be able to clean, people were now, like the veil was torn and people were allowed to get into the inner room, to get into that space, to have that intimacy with God in a different space, in a different level. Before that, Jesus was there. And when Jesus came, he was that physical God on the world, not as opposed to like being like his his cool son, but he was him. And then when Jesus came and when Jesus died and that ceremony happened and the blood was shed, then God was able to be within all of us. So 
So with the Old Testament and New Testament, I think it's the difference of just like God made a way of opening that he, as holy as he can be, as holy as he is, and he can't have dirty things touching him, he made a way to make sure that there could be that intimacy. That's how I understood it. Glory. I like this. I like this. By the way, I wish I can summarize everyone's point, but I honestly can't. So I'm hoping that everybody else is listening and uh, paying attention. But no, thank you so much, um, Cara, Jessica. And I'll reflect on what everybody has said in a moment. So I think I see Paul's hand. And in fact, Susie, I saw your hand as well. So I'll just take my time. If it means that we have to delay the session next week, then we'll do that. Uh, but yeah, over to you, Paul. Thank you for that. Finally, I'm allowed to speak. <laughs> One second. And by the way, if you, if you want to comment on any of the things other people have said, feel free to comment. And also, if they want to come back, then let's do that as well. So, yeah. Thank you. It's up there. The, 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 the teaching is expanding, and I'm really learning a lot. Thanks for everyone's contribution. Um, I was just thinking, if we really considered um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, there are similarities if they are not totally uh, the same. I, I, I could see similarities there. Um, the approach to which God was actually disciplining people, or let me say killing people, so to say, in the Old Testament, um, we still find out that there are some people that actually did worse sin and they were spared. And there are some people that they did not even imagine that man that was just trying to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Don't let it fall. But he died. Just, he died like that. And the same ark was placed in Obed, the Odom's house, and he became rich. So I found that even in this age, there are still some people that are suffering, that they are restricted. And the only difference is knowledge, as far as to the best of my knowledge, is, diff, is the knowledge. So David knew that even though he has slept with uh, one of his soldier's wife and he killed the man, so God was giving me option. He said, David, now I will deal with it. He said, they will deal with you. But he knew something about this. He said, let me die in your presence. Just in your presence, whatever I want to die, devil, don't let me go to that side. He was spared. He did the unimaginable. He didn't do worse like soon. But we found out he found, there's something they call in Yoruba, uh, my language, mumu button. So to say that he speaks less. I said, there's a button you press that will just make somebody vulnerable. Let me say that. There are some spots, light spots in God that God cannot overtake. God cannot. Imagine when they were killing, when there was a mass killing of the people of God. Um, Moses signaled to Moses, uh, to Aaron. He said, Aaron, take the rod and go and stand. And because God saw that, he could not proceed. So some people walk with God and they knew something about God. And so it was limitation of knowledge, not because God was screw or to now. As is in this century, some people are still suffering from God. Uh, I heard about a minister, they were worshipping God, and the father in the Lord, the pastor, was drinking in his office, drinking coffee, so that when they finished worshipping, we mount up to preach. And God striked him, dispensation, he struck him and he died there. And there was a prophecy in church to say that my servant have killed him inside, because he felt it was too big to come and worship, he was waiting for you to finish work. So, it's just, it's just, and another thing, when God loves you, he doesn't take rubbish from you. I mean, the whole understanding that Moses had, who could have imagined that ordinary misbehavior of just not striking, pointing to the rock, and you struck the rock, and God said, you're not going to enter. And he went on 40 days, because he knew that, okay, I think if I do fasting, you understand that God, we actually, we, we appeal fasting, we appeal to God. But God said, no, 
just because of the, to whom much was given. I mean, you've seen me face to face. We have rapport. You know, I don't do this. How could people move you to? So this one was not no no case. And God struck him down. So I think it's the knowledge. And the more you are close to God, the more you know about God, the more God will respect more from you. God killed it. that 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 uh, that son that was supposed to be born for David. God killed it. He fasted and said, God, and when he died, he knew God. He said, I know God will do what he said he wants to do. Give me food, let me eat. I know that's how it works. So it's basically about our knowledge about God. Basically about our knowledge about God. Thank you so much uh, for all the contributions uh, from everyone. Um, are there any more? Um, even those that I've spoken, in case you are thinking, oh, maybe I want to say something different. Um, yeah, I've got one. I, um, I, I think I just had a revelation and it's actually quite emotional because um, I was just, just really listening to what everyone was saying and then I thought of a few scriptures in the word of God that talks about, you know, God coming and he's coming for the Gentiles and it just makes me think if it wasn't for him, no one else could have done it. So he himself had to come. He himself had to do it because the blood in the Old Testament was would not have been enough to sanctify the Gentiles, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm going too deep. This might be a personal it's message. Right. We're willing to go there with you, uh, Susan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it just makes me realize that God, you know, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And so he had to come and die and show his and, and shed his blood for the Gentiles, for us, to graft us in. Um and you know, he's coming as man in the form of, in the form of man. So if we really deep it, you know, God coming to the earth as man he's not going to go on militant and start killing everyone. He's here to show us how to live and how he intended for us to live in the beginning. And that uh, that's why I think he perhaps has shown up differently in the New Testament, because there's a new covenant, which is that this blood that has, that has been shed. There's no other blood that can do it. And yeah, I think that's, that's that's the revelation that's come to that's been placed in my heart just now. Amen. That's uh, very powerful, and the reason why I feel it's very powerful is because uh, I, I guess it's going to lead into. I'm I'm going to try to summarize everything, and, and I'm literally going to take literally an aspect of what everybody has said. Um, by just using direct scriptural text as opposed to uh, trying to explain, um, just because I'm mindful that. I'm keeping my eyes on the clock and also a lot we've said quite a few things and also so that we can remember what other people have said uh paul if it's okay i'll take your comments uh later uh please um but i'm hoping to take something from what everybody else has said and, and kind of link it together i i know someone said the god of the old testament is exactly the same god in the new testament and one of the reasons why we know that is the fact that god doesn't change and i think it was cassie that mentioned that god doesn't change his character is the same and in fact, when we looked at the nature of God, one of the things we said again and again, which is based on Old Testament scriptures, is the fact that God is full of compassion, is full of mercy, 
is suffers long. Uh, there were four things that we listed that was repeated in different Old Testament scriptures about the nature of God. So literally, the God of the Old Testament is exactly the same God um, in the New Testament. And even I think as Cara Jessica was speaking about the Son, I think um, Susan mentioned this as well about Jesus and so on. This song came to mind in Christ alone. And the, I'm not sure if you, you must know the song. Uh, I think it was written by uh, Townsend. But in one of the verses of the song, it talks about how the wrath of God was satisfied in Christ. And so, yes, God of the Old Testament is holy. The God of the New Testament is also holy. The God of the Old Testament is righteous. The God of the New Testament is righteous. Part of the difference is when he came to the atonement of sin in the Old Testament, the atonement couldn't be fully satisfied by the blood of animals. Whereas in the New Testament, the blood of Christ is literally, is complete. And so when it comes to the wrath of God, and I know a lot of people find it hard to believe that God has a wrath, but he does. Um, and part of that wrath is going to be expressed at the end of the age um, when, you know, the devil is going to be thrust into the lake of fire. Is the fact that the wrath of God's judgment has been placed upon Christ on the cross. And so in some respects, through Jesus coming, I don't want to say we have more leeway, but there's a lot more room because of Jesus' sacrifice, because the wrath of God has been placed upon Christ. Whereas in the Old Testament, the best they could do was for the animal to um, cover the sin. And I think Paul kind of alluded to this as well, that because in the book of Numbers, there were times when the people kind of disobeyed God and they wanted to be an enemy of Moses and there was judgment being cast across the people and literally in the middle of that I think Moses and Aaron they got a sacrifice to pacify the wrath of God being passed onto the people and so it's just to say that the God of the Old Testament is exactly the same God in the New Testament however the key difference is the fact that in Christ the wrath of God has been satisfied so it's still the same Holy God um, in the Old Testament. It's still the same Holy God in the New Testament. Uh, so one of the Christian beliefs is the fact that God doesn't change. And I think Carrie just talked, talked about the holiness of God. It's still the same. But in, in it's just the differences, the way God's loving kindness is expressed is more pronounced through the person of Jesus. Um, and so that's the best explanation I can give um, in terms of the, the, the difference. Um, because we see that, for example, Herod in the New Testament, he, was, he wasn't giving glory to God. And the Bible talks about how in the book of Acts, that worm hates him up. We see something similar in the Old Testament. We see Ananias and Sapphira. I think it's an Acts 5 or Acts 6. They lied against the Spirit and they dropped dead. You know, in fact, even the New Testament talks about how the reason why some Christians have slept, and he used the word sleep, and we talked about what sleep means, because they didn't observe the body in the right way. So literally, even Christians, I don't want to use the word die, but sleep prematurely because we haven't taken the necessary steps to live a holy life before God. And so it's just to say that this, it's the same God. However, the key difference is the fact that Jesus has stepped in in a big way to pacify the wrath of God. Wrath of God.
Um, yeah. But I think what everybody else has said is helps me as well in understanding that. Um, so yeah, I'll leave the floor open a bit um, in case there are further reflections. Um, but we'll probably pause here uh, and sing a song later rather than uh, continue the teaching just because I, I think we need time to just reflect uh, on a lot of the things we've been saying. So the floor is open for any further contributions from anyone. Thank you, Fola. I'm just also thinking that with what you said that we have Jesus Christ for us, he's an advocate. And a question popped up in my mind to say, okay, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father now, interceding for the earth. Then the question was, um, where did he start that duty? Was it from the foundation of the world? I think the Bible confirmed that when he died, he ascended. It was when he has died. So looking from that angle, I'm thinking perhaps in the Old Testament, we do not have more intercessors. And for the case of the children of the Israelites, Moses was there for them. But for Moses, no one was there to plead with God for him. And bringing that very close, I'm just thinking to myself, so if today um, God wants to strike someone uh, very close to me, then am I able to stand in the days of Noah, God found Noah, and because of them, there was, people were preserved. Is God able to see me to say, ah, because of all, I mean, I'll not do this, which is supposed to actually be the function of the church or uh, churches. I mean, because I'm this environment, there should not be darkness activity. I should be able to rescue people. So you just leave me with that thought to think, okay, am I am I really up to that? Um, am, am I do I have that? What will I say? That stand with God that God can say, okay, because of this, I mean, I'm preserving this yeah, environment or this person in your family. Just thinking out loud. Um, Paul, uh, the interesting thing you said about being the person, I think the sacrifice of Jesus is enough. I don't think anything you and I can do can supersede that. Um, in terms of God's judgment coming upon humanity, I think what Christ has done is enough. It, yes, we can pray for people, um, but the prayer is not so much to change what God is about to do because God is already. Um, what Christ has done is already uh, enough to pacify the wrath of God. If anything, what we need to pray for is people, for their hearts to be softened towards God. Um, because that's where the problem lies. Um, because as far as God is concerned, as we've read in the Old Testament, is is full of compassion, um, is slow to hunger. So that's his nature. And part of the ways in which is demonstrated in nature is through Christ. And so our responsibility is more praying for people's heart to be softened um, towards God rather than the other way around of God to pacify his anger. Largely because what Christ has done is enough. I mean, he died a sinless life. I don't think there's anything you and I can do to change that. And I know it sounds very um because we see instances in the old testament where okay for example moses interceded for the people uh abraham interceded for the people we see a lot of that um but for us in the new testament christ is our intercessor christ has already taken that penalty of sin upon himself and so as far as god is concerned god has done everything i don't think there's anything you and i can do to change 
uh, God's disposition towards humanity. Now, I might be wrong. I think if anything, I'll probably say we need to pray for human beings to change their disposition towards God. Any further thoughts from anyone? Two more, and then we'll just sing a song, and then we close. Susie, please feel free to come off mute. Sorry, guys. I know I'm talking a lot today, um, but I have a question. Uh, um, so I'm just like, I'm, this is just so deep. It's so deep because it makes me think about the fact that I was born in a time where Jesus Christ has come, you know, and I mean, I could have been born 200 years ago when, no, sorry, two, more over 2000 years ago before Christ had come, you know, who would have covered my sins at that point? You know, the blood of the sheep and the goats and all of that. And I just think, wow, like God, what does this mean? What does this mean? Like, because there are people who were before us and I'm wondering about their sins. If if the blood of those animals were, was not strong enough, then then what happened to them? What would have happened to them? Or am I or am, am I thinking too deep? No, it's it's a good question. So I'm just going to rephrase the question. Um, in other words, for those that died before Christ, before Christ, before Jesus paid the price, you know, who atoned for their sins? You know. Yeah, and I guess the ultimate question is, where did they end up? Now, one of the ways I which I will answer that is also the, the standard of judgment might be different for them. And so in the book of Romans, it talks about how um, God might use people's consciences to judge them. So the standard of judgment will be different. So if we are thinking about this in biblical sense, the only people that God gave the Torah to was the Jewish people. Nobody else had access to Yahweh other than the Jewish people. Now, there might be dots and patterns of people here and there that had access to God. So someone like Balaam, for example, so because the reason Balaam comes to mind is because I've been reading the book of Numbers. He wasn't a Jewish person, at least from what I read in the text. He wasn't Jewish, but he had access to God. I don't know how that happened, but God revealed himself to him. And there's another section, I think, in the book of Abacoc or another text that talks about how there were other people that didn't have access to God. So suffice to say, to answer your question directly, the standard of judgment might be different for those people just because they didn't have the opportunity that we have. And what the Romans says is the use of conscience. So in other words, some people's consciences would act as a judge for them. Um, yeah, so I think that's the best way I can answer that. But for, for even for the Jews like us, everything has always been by faith. Um, even though you were born as a community of God's people, you still have to believe. And that's what the Bible says, you know, the just shall live by faith. The way in which you become righteous has always been by faith. Abraham believed God and it was according to him as righteousness. So, and even if you were not born Jewish, you still had access to believing. So like Rahab, the Alots, through, the, the, through which the line of Jesus came through, the Bible talks about how she believed the testimony of the spies. And so the criteria has always been there that it's by faith. Um, and because of faith, you can be saved. Um, yeah. It's, it's a very good question because this happens a lot when people try to, I guess, uh, dispute 
you know, the validity of Christ, if we're saying that Jesus is the only way to God, what if you died before Jesus came? You know, what would have happened to you? Um, but the criteria has always been the same. It's by faith and, and by faith alone. That's how we become righteous. The question is, the content of the faith is different in the Old Testament versus in the New. Um, yeah. Well, Romans 1 and 2 talks about, you know, people that would have perished before Christ came and what God's plan was for them. All right, I know we've said a lot tonight, um, so I'm just going to play this song um, to give us time to reflect and feel free to turn off your cameras if you want to. Uh, but the title of the song is In Christ Alone. Um, now, because we can't quite finish everything we planned for tonight, what we'll do is I might continue next week and then it just means that everything will be delayed by a week, if that makes sense. Um, so us starting the new series on growing as a disciple will be delayed by a week. Uh, so that at least Paul has enough time to do his own recap. All right, so let me stop the recording.